Did you notice that verse that was read, verse 14? It's a popular and really comforting verse that's probably been quoted over the years a few times. You've got it there, haven't we, Steve? Here it is. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. It's, it's beautiful, isn't it? Um, now, you probably, it's the kind of verse that gets put on um, lovely pictures. Um, and, and you've probably heard it quoted in, in multiple different situations. We're going to look at the context tonight that that verse comes from and make sure we understand um, this piece of instruction that we need to be still um, and trust that the Lord's going to fight for us. Um, what we just read a piece of there, you know, chapter 13 and 14, is that epic event in history um, where the waters of the Red Sea part and God's people, Israel, get to walk through on dry land. It's, it's, it's stunning. It's a stunning event. And if you've been, uh, you know, reading it throughout the week, hopefully you've been reflecting on it, on the details of it. It's, it's quite mesmerising. Um, let's look at the original context here and understand where this command comes from. Um, this is the Exodus. God's bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt and his people have been brought to a particular place right up against the Red Sea where, in fact, they're hemmed in. Um, they're up against the Red Sea and now the enemy is coming for them and they find themselves stuck and fearful. Um, and not, not really sure what to do next. And, and that's the context in which they get given that instruction. The, the, the bigger picture here of God's people being released um, from slavery in Egypt, and particularly this crossing of the Red Sea, if there's ever a picture in the Old Testament that provides for us you know, parallels to our salvation in Jesus, it's this one. In fact, <clears throat> the New Testament has got lots of allusions to this parting of the Red Sea and God's people coming out um, from Exodus here. I was tempted to kind of bring lots of them to you, but I, I, wanna, I just want to bring a couple and I want to bring a few to, to basically be saying this. I think the New Testament invites us to see Jesus in the Exodus. Let me, let me just give you two of the many verses you can go to in the New Testament to kind of See Jesus in the midst of this. I'll give you Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. Um, well, you got 28 there as well. Is that what I gave you? I probably did. Um, look, look at this. By faith he, that's Moses, kept the Passover and the application of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn um, would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So this is what we looked at last week with the Passover. And, and, and what's happening in here, here in Hebrews 11, if we're getting all different um, um, pictures of what Christian faith is like, here's what faith is like. But look at verse 28. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. So can you see what being this Red Sea crossing is given to us in the New Testament as somewhat of a paradigm for Christian faith? Not identical, but somewhat of a paradigm. And when you go to some of Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians, we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, and he, he says this, he says a lot more too, but I'll just give you a little snippet of it. Um, we do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. In, in this passage here, we get the cloud that's leading God's people and they go through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses 
in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. How's that one for you? So here's God's people in the Old Testament passing through the Red Sea and out into the desert and they're told that they've got this rock that's with them, I'd say providing for them and protecting them and and we're told that that rock was Christ. (laughs) Sometimes you come across these passages in the New Testament that just help you to try to read Christ right there in the Old Testament as well. And I just want to bring a few of them to you to kind of open the door for you to be able to at least come with me and see the parallels here between God's people um, being redeemed and crossing through the Red Sea and the parallels between that and the modern day Christian life where we see ourselves as redeemed by Christ and see the similarities in our salvation. If we do that, what's going to happen is this, is we're going to see their exodus and we're going to see how that helps us understand our salvation and the life that we have to live in Christ now. And I just want to notice two main things. I want to notice what God does and I want to notice what we are called to do. So what God does for his people and what he calls them to do. So here's the first one, what God does. God is the one who redeems, God leads and God fights. That's certainly what you see here in this Exodus moment. So come and look at those with me. God redeems, he leads and he fights. Um, Whenever we use the word redeem or the concept of redemption, um, it's it's basically always in regards to being redeemed from slavery. And, and here's, here's why. Here's where you get the ultimate picture of redemption for God's people. God is the one who redeems his people out of literal, practical slavery in Egypt. Israel's salvation is a redemption from slavery. Um, have a look at verse 5 in chapter 14, just to kind of acknowledge that point, because this is certainly what Pharaoh knows that he is losing as the Israelites bail from Egypt. He knows he's losing his workforce. He's losing his slaves. Have a look at verse 5. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and we have lost their services. So this is, really, this is really key for Pharaoh. He's stressed now that he's losing his, his workforce, his slaves who are actually always been working for him. And here's the deal. God's people are slaves until God sets them free from slavery, which is what redemption and salvation is. But you notice the minute God's people get set free, their old slave master comes for them again, wanting them back. Just catch that parallel, yeah? The old slave master always wants God's redeemed people to come back. And that's the catch that parallel with us today. Before you get saved in Christ Jesus, we are described as being in slavery to sin. Have you caught that in the Scriptures? Now, it's, it's harder for us to get our heads around because we don't feel the physical slavery in the same way God's people did in the Old Testament. But we're told that before you get Jesus, 
you're a slave to sin. You, you're unable to resist the power of sin over you. You're actually chained by sin. Life without Christ is not freedom, it's bondage. It can appear like freedom. And those who don't have Christ, and maybe you don't have Christ yet here with us today, you might think of the life that you lived as freedom because you get to choose whatever you're doing, but you come to the Scriptures and the God of the universe actually will say, no, no, what you're living there, doing whatever you want to do or what makes sense to you is actually the ultimate form of slavery. You're a slave to your own sinful desires. It's not freedom at all. Freedom comes when you come to Christ and you are unchained from your sin and you're released from the condemnation of your sin and you're released from what leads to death and eternal separation from a loving God. We are slaves until we meet Christ And a lot of the language of the New Testament, particularly in Paul's writing, that's the language you get. Can you give me Romans chapter 8? I'll just give you the first few verses here, which are really, you'll know the first line at least. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's a little bit of the language that Paul uses, that you've been set free You've been set free from a law or a power, which is the power of sin, and you've been set free to God. And so there's no condemnation under you anymore. If you're in Christ, you're no longer a slave. You're actually able to now say no to sin like you never could. You're actually now unchained from sin. There's freedom in Christ and you've been bought at a price so there's, there's, there's a first little, thing, first little thing to notice, that, that um, God redeems from slavery, his Old Testament people, there, and God redeems you from slavery to sin now. God redeems, God leads, that's the second thing. That's, that's something that you certainly see here in the Exodus, God actually physically, visually leading his people. It's pretty spectacular. Yeah, did you catch the way he does that when you read? Look, look, at, look at chapter 13 and pick it up there in verse 21. I'll try and find mine. There it is. By day, the Lord, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, the pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. What what a spectacular display of the presence of God to be going before his people so that they would know he's with them and they would know where to go. What an incredible God who leads like this, his people out of slavery. It's amazing. Always visible, always tangible. It's an incredible, gracious display. And it's interesting that the way he leads them is the long way round. I'm sure if you picked up on that a little bit earlier, God doesn't take them straight, um, you know, on the quickest route. He actually takes them the long way round because he wants to avoid the Philistines. He's being merciful to his people. He knows they're not up for war. He leads them the long way around. But then he brings them right to this place by the Red Sea where all of a sudden they start knowing or feeling like they're stuck 
And this is exactly where God is bringing them to. He's bringing them to a dead end. He's bringing them to what they perceive to be a total dead end so that he can display his power and his glory to them. It's quite spectacular. He leads. And in the same way, guys, our God leads you today as well. Now, you might say, oh, where's my cloud? You know, where's my pillar of fire? Um, Because, you know, at times you think, geez, that would be nice. But, But we're talking about being led into salvation here, not led into every little single decision that you ever need to make in your life. God leads you by the Spirit into salvation. And God goes on leading you by the Spirit and through His Word, the Scriptures, into all of the life that He has for you. One thing's for sure, no one comes to a knowledge of Jesus simply by figuring it out themselves. And, and you know, Ella just testified to that you know, beautifully tonight. There was a knowledge of God and a knowledge of Jesus about Him, but God led you, I say, by the Spirit into knowledge of Him and relationship with Him. And that causes excitement. I've seen tears. I've seen all kinds of things come from you, which says to me, not the the ultimate judge, but it says to me, there's evidence here of a God being alive and at work by his spirit to lead us to him and to lead us into salvation. If, If you've got a relationship with God and you trust him to be real and you see him as your redeemer and your saviour, and you know him to be good, it's because God has opened your heart to receive the gospel. It's because God has opened your eyes to see him. It's because God has opened your ears to hear him. It's because God has opened your mind to be able to conceive of him and think, hang on, this makes sense. There is a God. He does love me. He has come for me in Jesus. And he's paid a great price so that now I can follow him and live for him. If you get that, it's because God has led you by the Spirit into that, which leaves you and I in one place and it's simply a place of gratitude, isn't it? It's a place where where we just think, well, why would he do that for me? Jeez, I wish you'd do it for them and I wish you'd do it for them and this other person and we keep praying, but we pray with the acknowledgement that God has led me into this relationship, this knowing, this salvation. Why me? I'll tell you what, that helps me to kind of try to pursue a posture of gratefulness in this life and let our service for him just come from our thankfulness to him that he would lead us into salvation. God redeems, God leads, and God fights. In this episode, um, we see God um, fighting for the final time, in a sense, against Egypt, and particularly against the king of Egypt, who is his arch enemy at this time. Certainly um, wants to go against him. And can you see that? Look at back at, um, look at chapter 14 and look at verse 4. Um, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue me but I will gain glory for myself um, through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So what God's going to do here is he's going to call his enemy out 
for this one last battle and God is going to fight for his people. Look at verses 23 and 25, through to 25 and you'll see how the fight actually goes. Verse 23, the Egyptians pursued them. So here's God's people once the waters have been parted walking out down across dry land. We'll get to that again in a moment. But as they go, the Egyptians who have come for them pursue them and they go down into the, into the, um, the, the bed, the, the seabed and um, chasing the Israelites. The, the Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and he threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from these Israelites. The Lord is fighting against, is fighting for them against Egypt. So the Egyptians can see what's going on here. It's really clear to them. You know, they've, they've driven down into the seabed and now the wheels of their chariots are jamming up. They can, see, they can see that there's something supernatural happening here. They can see that the God of the Israelites is actually going to stop them in this place. And that's exactly what he does. If you read on, look at verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had not followed, sorry, that had followed the Israelites into the sea, none of them survived. I've heard people attempt to discredit this Red Sea crossing in a number of ways over the years. One of the things that's been put forward is that the Red Sea wasn't really the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, or there was a section of the Red Sea where it actually got really shallow and a wind blew in the kind of way that allowed for the Israelites to be able to cross in like ankle deep water. So it wasn't really much of a miracle. It was just God's people, you know, the Israelites just crossing along in ankle deep water. Now, If that was the case, this is still a pretty profound miracle that God would drown all of Egypt and the chariots and the horsemen in ankle deep water. Am I right? Like it's it's an astonishing miracle either way. God rescues his people and he fights for them, taking down his enemy, which is really to take down the old slave master and conquer the king of Egypt. Our God fights for us today, like he fought for his people then. Jesus has actually fought the ultimate battle. The ultimate battle is against the ultimate enemy. And Jesus fought that when he went to the cross and defeated sin and the sting of death. You know, Colossians will talk about how when Jesus was on the cross, that was really a triumphant victory over, the, over his enemies. It was a public display. And that's the case. This is Jesus displaying that he wins the battle. He fights it and he wins it. And his resurrection displays his victory. We stand today in the finished work of Jesus, 
We stand um, in, in a place where the battle has been won against the greatest enemy. If there's fights or battles in the Christian life that are to come for us, understand that you are fighting not for a victory, you're fighting from a victory that's already been won. Jesus has fought the battle. He's won the victory. He fights for us and he wins. So there's what God has done. That's the first thing you see in this episode um, of the Red Sea crossing is what God has done. Our God is the one who redeems. Our God is the one who leads. Our God is the one who fights. And if he's doing all the redeeming and he's doing all the leading and he's doing all the fighting, what does that leave for us to do? Well, here's where you get to that instruction. God's people are called in verse 14 to just be still. So let's wrestle with what that means. What does it actually mean to be still? What is God actually calling his people to do here? Um, I'm going to flick back a page so I can see that verse. Is it that they are to be completely passive? Is this a call to God's people for complete inaction? Just freeze, stand still, don't do anything. I don't think it's that. This, this, this word that's, that's translated be still could just as easily or possibly more accurately be translated be silent. And that's, that's an important thing to acknowledge because you want to hear what they have been saying up to this point, that, that they need to be quiet because they've been grumbling. We'll come to that in just a second. But I want to say, no, no, when they are told to be still, I think it means two things that you see. Number one, it means don't run back into slavery. And number two, cross over from death to life. Yeah? So let's look at those two things. Don't run back and cross over. Don't run back. And the reason why I'd say that is because look at the verses that just come before this command. Look at verses 10 and 12. Did you catch what God's people are saying to Moses when they're hemmed in up against the Red Sea? Do you see what's coming out of their mouths? Look at verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and they were afraid. Sorry, the Israelites looked up and... The, and and there were the Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Look what they say to Moses. They say to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What, what, um, what, what, what I'm trying to struggle with worse today. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to come out here and die in the desert. Um, welcome to the beginning of a lot of grumbling of God's people when they're brought into salvation. <laughs> it's pretty full on. And if you know how this goes into the wilderness and what comes out of their mouths, it's quite, it's quite, it's, it's quite interesting to notice how God's people struggle to be saved. Yeah. They're afraid in this situation. They can see the Egyptians are coming for them. They're likely tempted to just scatter and just run anywhere. But what's coming out of their mouths really is their heart to go back to where they were, is to go back into slavery. 
They literally say to Moses, don't you remember? We told you to leave us alone. We kind of wanted to stay. And now that we're here in this situation, we, we wish we'd stayed. We actually believe we would have been better off in slavery. How quickly have they forgotten their cries to the Lord for help? There is discomfort in salvation. Catch that one. There's a loss of the familiar, even if the familiar was bad. (laughs) There's an anxiety about the unknown life ahead, even when you're told that the life ahead is going to be wonderful. And there's an old master wanting them back. And I think we see this dynamic in us today, alive and well. Have you noticed it in yourself? There is a hardship in salvation in that there is a hardship in following Jesus. Um, Jesus is really clear about it. He never tries to hide it at all. You know, he says, pick up your cross and follow me. You know, he never promises it's all going to be skipping through the daisies and it's going to be good. He actually promises hardship. And as you start to press into the Christian life and absorb the change of the Christian life, you might feel that discomfort and feel that pain, the pain of leaving behind what you've always known, the pain of embracing the new, which is unknown. You know, the, the, the life of salvation in Jesus is about letting go of well-established habits and behaviours, many of which have brought a level of pleasure into your life, but now you're finding that they're actually dishonouring to God. And so it's a letting go of the pleasure. Maybe even sometimes it would be a letting go of a relationship or two that, that needs to change in your life. You see, sin is sweet for a season and slavery is so ingrained in us that we can easily find ourselves thinking, I just want to go back. I'm giving up. Or more subtly, I'm just not sure that this life is for me. Or the way you're talking or the Bible's talking about the Christian, I'm just, I'm just not sure that that's really working out for me. There's the temptation for us. And if you're feeling that temptation right now in this season of life, or you're new to the faith and you're thinking, I don't know, I think I'm going to go back. Be still. Stand still. Don't nobody go nowhere. Don't go back. Don't run back. Stay where you are in Jesus. Jesus says some will go back. And this has been part of the heartache that we've experienced already just in a couple of years here. In Coffs, there's been a few people who have made professions of faith and it's been really exciting. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm out of here. And that's devastating for us. We pray that they would come back. We pray that there'd be many over the years who would come to faith and stay in the faith. But Jesus says, oh, there will be people. You know, Jesus tells that classic famous parable, the parable of the four soils. And it's the two soils in the middle that I just want to mention in this moment. He describes key reasons why people who once believed turn back. The second soil and the third soil. 
The second soil, we're told, is the pitcher, and I don't have time to go into it, so I'm sorry if you're unfamiliar with it, but the gospel lands in a certain soil and life springs up. And the second soil is the soil where life springs up, and the, but the little plant, as soon as it springs up, um, the heat comes out and it can't handle the heat and so it dies off really quickly, which is a little picture of a person who first comes to faith first comes to hear about Jesus. But the moment they feel the cost, the minute the first level of discomfort comes, and it will come, they bail. And they run quite quickly back into slavery. Maybe you know someone, or maybe that was you. Or The third soil is actually a soil that every single one of us, even if you've been a Christian for many, many years, you need to make sure that you will never be the third soil. Because the third soil is the one where the seed lands and the plant grows up and grows for years. But at the same time as growing in a sense, there's other things growing. This is what I would call the slow drift back into slavery. It's not the fast, hard turn and run. It's the slow drift. It's edging bit by bit over the years back into the slavery of sin. It's described in in Jesus' parable as, as the person who is in the faith, but then life's worries, riches, the pursuit of pleasures, end up just slowly steering the course. Busyness. Worried about all kinds of things. Focused on everything else. And it's like a vine that's slowly growing up and finally chokes the Christian life out of you. And this is the person who doesn't quite know exactly when it happened. But somehow over the years, they've been turned back towards the slavery to sin. It's the person who doesn't actually end up really growing strong and mature and putting down deep roots because you've spent just as much time growing many other things in your life. We're all in danger of this. Will this happen to you? Will you slowly turn back to slavery? Will you be the person who was all fired up in the early years ready to do it all and give it all. But then in your later years, your older years, you've become blasé. A little decision here, a little choice there, hundreds of little decisions over the years, subtly letting many other things become priorities as well until the priority of Jesus isn't even a priority And the world will cheer you on with every single one of those little decisions about what you do with your time and your energy and your finances because none of those decisions are obviously and explicitly bad in and of themselves. It's just that there's so many of them. Travel, renovate, holidays, the cars, investments, Savings, relationships, none of them obviously evil in and of themselves, but altogether, hundreds of decisions around those things can lead you to a place where you find yourself saying lots of little no's to Jesus and serving him and lots of little yeses to leisure and recreation and time to chill or whatever it is for you. 
And it ends up just being a slow turn back to slavery. Don't let that happen to you. Watch yourself like a hawk over the years. Watch what's growing up around you. Cut it down early. Step right back from the edge of the cliff. Grow deep in the Lord and be focused on that. Make that your priority. Clinging to Him. Stay in the faith. Be careful of everything else. Be still. Stop hunting and searching like everyone else. Be still in the Lord. Don't run back and don't slowly turn back to slavery. Let's be in our 80s and our 90s more fired up than ever. Maybe not physically able, but spiritually able. Let's in our 70s and our 60s and some of you are there already. I'm really close to 50 and I'm feeling it. What's going to happen for you over the next 10 years, 20 years? Who is that version of yourself down the track? Because all the little decisions you make now, all the little investments of your time and your finances and your talents and decisions to go or to stay or to do this, all of it all adds up. It all adds up. Stay still, be still, stay with Jesus. So to be still means to make sure you don't run back into slavery. It's not inaction because to be still also means this, you've got to cross over. Now, I'm not sure if you, you were digging into this passage during the week and you noticed that just before God's people were told to move on, and go down through the Red Sea. How are we going, Manny? All right. Yeah, all just, just before they're told to move on down into the Red Sea, the, the pillar of cloud that's at the front actually hops up and goes behind them to protect them from the enemy. And then, they'll, then they're told to go. There's the frightening moment, is it not? To walk down onto the seabed between the walls of water either side. In the ancient world, water was even more frightening than us today. We love holding our breath and going down and spending time in the ocean. But in the ancient world, the the ocean or the sea was a sign of threat and danger. And here they were to walk down into the sea. And the cloud wasn't in front of them, but they were told to go by Moses. God told Moses to tell them, go. Go. This was the moment where God's people were told, you cross over. You be still, don't scatter, don't run back into slavery, cross over. Walk down into the seabed. That takes some trust. Now, I reckon there would have been some Israelites who would have just been psyching on it, you know, just like, this is awesome, let's go. And they're looking through. I don't know what it would have been like if you watch the cartoons or the Charlton Heston version, you know, it's pretty spectacular to see those walls of water. And I reckon there would have been some of the Israelites pretty excited about it, pretty, you know, thrilled about the whole thing. But I reckon a lot of them would have been fearful and freaking out. Which is why I think in Hebrews 11, it says it took faith for them to cross the Red Sea. It takes trust in God, his instructions to you and his protection of you. Either way, they cross through. And in crossing through, they cross over really from death to life. 
and they're heading for Mount Sinai, Horeb. They're heading for where they can go and worship and have a festival to the Lord. And we're going to look at that some more next week. They're released for worship, but it takes faith. It takes moving your feet. It takes crossing over. It takes acting on the commands of God to come to Him. And I'm not sure if you noticed this language of crossing over also being in the New Testament. Jesus uses this word in John chapter 5. Can I grab that one, Steve? Now, it's not explicitly about the Red Sea, but I can't help but to read the language of crossing over as harking back to this moment. Very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. There it is for us. If, if you hear Jesus' words and you believe him, that, that he's come to, to live the life that you couldn't live and die a death in your place and rise again to offer you forgiveness, if you can hear that and believe that, you get eternal life, you've crossed over from death to life. And some of you, that's a really vivid image for you. You feel like you've crossed over. Yeah. Others of you, maybe you hear that language and you think, I'm not sure if I've crossed over. I reckon you know if you have. I reckon you know if you've put your trust in Jesus in this kind of way and you've now received eternal life and you're not under judgment anymore, but you're under grace. If you don't know if you've got that yet, this is for you to focus on. What's holding you back from taking those steps to cross over? In the grace of God, under the protection of God, cross over and trust that he will lead you and protect you and keep fighting for you. Now, the fact that God has fought for you doesn't mean you'll fight every battle. doesn't mean you'll sort out every circumstance and situation that you want resolving in your timing. What it means is this, he's fought the ultimate battle and won that battle for you against sin. So be still. Trust in Jesus that your sin has been paid for, that he's won the battle, that you've been freed from slavery, the penalty and the power of sin, and trust that one day soon you will be totally free from the presence of sin as we enter glory. I'll stop there. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this vivid picture of how you've redeemed your people from slavery in Egypt. And we thank you for how we see our salvation in Christ on display here with the symbols of the Red Sea. Thank you so much, God, that you would redeem us from slavery to sin. Thank you so much that you would lead us into salvation. Thank you so much that you have fought the battle for us. Lord, would you enable us to be still and to not run back into slavery and to never do it for the rest of our lives? Would you help us to have crossed over and continue to cross over by faith? And stay in your grace. And Father, I pray that you would be at work in anyone here tonight who is still not sure as to whether they've crossed over. Lord, would you fill them with your spirit? 
Would you lead them into salvation? Would you help them to cross over? And would you do that over and over and over again by the power of your spirit um, here in Coffs and beyond? And the people said, 